So, today isn't exactly a, a history of the VHS. It's more of just a compilation of weird and interesting little facts I found out about VHS when I was... Uh, well, actually, I was watching a TikTok the other day, and... Uh, <laughs> fucking, God, does that make me sound old. I was watching a TikTok. Now, I was watching TikTok the other day, and there was a... Uh, there was one of this mom filming some teenage girls getting a Taylor Swift CD and they couldn't get the CD out of the case. They couldn't figure out how to how to do it because obviously it's 2024 now and they've never needed to use a CD. A CD is a dead technology to them in the same way punch cards were a dead technology to me when I was growing up. And it was a pretty cute little video and I just thought it was funny. And that got me thinking just about legacy media in general and all the media that I have used in my life from, you know, records to eight tracks to cassettes to CDs to DVDs, VHS, obviously, uh, and all the stuff that was around me in the periphery that I didn't participate in, but I was fascinated by, like laser discs or uh, the mini CDs, or I could never afford Betamax. It was supposedly better quality, but you could only record for an hour, so nobody wanted that. You know, that might be a, a good video in itself one day, just talking about all of the different dead legacy medias, like uh, mini discs and, uh, oh, what was the one that I used to have? It was like HDV, HD DVD, that's what it was. Yeah, I used to have one of those for my Xbox, like a external player for it, I think. Jesus Christ. Anyway, I was thinking about all of those dead formats, and... I guess maybe in my lifetime, the most important or the, the one that I participated in the most, that I used the most, has to be VHS, right? Commonly referred to as VHS tapes. That is redundant. A VHS is the tape. You can just say VHS, although I, along with most people, am guilty of doing it. I don't really know much about VHS as a format other than it was the predominant format of my lifetime, I guess, until, well, well into my adult years. I mean, I was born in 1975. The VHS player, or the VCR, was born, I guess, in 1976. There were previous versions in the 50s, but they were very, very expensive, and they weren't consumer-friendly. They were designed more for commercial use, and it was really JVC that took on the task of shrinking this technology and making it easier and cheaper and lighter and more portable and able to to fit into a consumer's home. I actually read an interesting thing about that. Where was that? In 1971, JVC put together a team to develop a VTR uh, for consumers. I don't want to get down in the weeds with these acronyms and shit. Just like the first version of a VCR, right? And then by the end of 71, they had <laughs> created an internal diagram called the VHS Development Matrix, which established 12 objectives for the new VCR. Uh, I thought these were interesting. The system must be compatible with any ordinary television set. Done. Picture quality must be similar to a normal air broadcast. Pretty sure that was uh, the case. The tape must have at least two-hour recording capacity. VHS, done. Betamax, not done. Tapes must be interchangeable between machines. Nailed it. The overall system should be versatile, meaning it can be scaled, expanded, such as connecting a video camera or dubbing between two recorders. I guess so. Recorders should be affordable, easy to operate, and have low maintenance costs. And they must be capable of being produced in high volume. Their parts must be interchangeable, and they must be easy to service. I don't know how easy to service anything uh, was by the 80s, but 
They definitely nailed most of those. Interestingly, though, they took a, a big hit in 1972, and so they had to scale things back and they cut the funding for the VHS project, but two of the engineers worked on the project in secrecy. Uh, I guess they just still believed in it. So then by 73, by 1973, they had, those two dudes had actually produced a functional prototype. And then things kicked back off. This is actually interesting. Sony was making Betamax, their version. Uh, and if you're old like me, you may remember, you could go to the video store to rent a movie. And uh, at least when I was a very young child, the left side of the video store was VHS, and the right side of the video store was Betamax. And they were there pretty much in equal measure, at least for my earliest memories. VHS eventually took off like a rocket ship, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But VHS, I think, almost didn't happen, or maybe I should, correctly I should say it might not have happened until much later. But in 74, the Japanese Ministry of International Trade and Industry uh, desired, uh, they, they wanted to avoid consumer confusion. They'd heard about VHS technology being developed, uh, even though it was on the back burner at that point. Sony had Betamax. They were pushing that to market. So what happened was they wanted to pick one or the other. Sony persuaded them to adopt Betamax as that standard and then uh, allow it to license the technology to other companies. However, JVC believed that an open standard that would be shared among competitors without licensing the technology was better for the consumer, clearly. And so to prevent the Ministry of International well, Ministry of International Trade and Industry just rolls off the tongue, right? To uh, to stop them from adopting Betamax, they worked to convince a bunch of other companies, in, uh, in particular uh, Matsushita, who was the largest uh, electronics manager in Japan at the time. I don't know if they still are or not, but also Panasonic and uh, a couple of other companies uh, agreed to to work against Sony to stop them from essentially owning the format, and eventually uh, JVC won out. And so I think like Hitachi, Mitsubishi, Sharp, a lot of other competitors to Sony realized that it was in their best interest to help JVC create an open standard that they could all share in and that no, no one individual company would profit more than the others off of. So uh, I think around 76, the first VCR hit the markets by JVC. It was very expensive. They were uh, the about somewhere between a thousand and four thousand dollars, which in today's money is between like four and seven thousand dollars. So you had to be pretty well off if you were going to buy like a, a five thousand dollar VCR in nineteen seventy six. And then what were you going to watch on it, right? Like what was the first movie even released on the VHS? Well, I looked it up, and uh, I can't say that I'd heard of it. Maybe you have, but it was a South Korean film called The Young Teacher. It was uh, released in 1972. I'm not sure why it became the very first movie to be released uh, on VHS, but it was. Here's a synopsis of it. It's uh, the movie's about a young idealistic teacher who wanted to uplift her students, so she organized a volleyball game for them, but the principal did not approve and fired her. The uh, age-old story of a teacher who comes to a school and tries to motivate unmotivatable kids via unconditional methods and succeeds and is then punished for it by, uh, by cold and archaic establishment views. Hmm. The Young Teacher. I bet if that movie still exists somewhere, it's worth a lot of money. And I'm going to look into that in just a second, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
So here we have the 70s. God, this is kind of turning into a history of the VHS, and I didn't mean it to be. I just think it's interesting that so we now have these competing formats, VHS and Betamax. I talked about how I saw them both at the video store when I was a kid. Well, here's the deal. VHS, although they were bigger and bulkier and had arguably worse quality, you could record for up to two hours, whereas Betamax would record for only one. I believe VHS was a little bit cheaper as well. And so it eventually won out. Uh, actually, by 2005, which is at the very, very... Actually, it's not even at the end. It's like the bullet's already been put into VHS's head. It's just bleeding out at this point. But in 2005, 95 million Americans still owned VCRs. I think you could say they probably officially died in 2006. I wonder how many they had in their heyday, though. Man, it's hard to find any uh, any hard numbers on how many VCRs were sold throughout the history of VCRs, but almost every family owned at least one. There were millions and millions and millions of units. Okay, here's some information. Uh, in 1985, an estimated 11.5 million VCRs were sold in the U.S. I assume that means just that year alone. By 87, 90% of the $5.25 billion VCR market in the U.S. is VHS. So you can see right there, that's the, the, the death knell of Betamax, right, right at the end of the 80s there. In 99, consumers spent, this is fucking crazy, in 1999, consumers spent $12.2 billion a year on VHS rentals and purchases, a figure that decreased to only $100 million annually by 2007. So in 1999, VHS rental and purchase Revenue is $12.2 billion. Think about Blockbuster and how big uh, and influential they were, what a powerhouse they were. And then eight years later, it was down to $100 million. Down $12.1 billion. Now, that money didn't go away, right? It did not get spent. It just all got spent on DVD, uh, I assume. So the wealth just transferred Probably within the same company, right? Because every company that's making a VCR is also making a DVD player at this point. It's just crazy to think that in eight years, an industry can go from generating $12 billion in revenue a year down to $100 million in revenue. In 2002, uh, so Blockbuster goes under in 2014, I believe. So in the early 2000s, they had almost 3,000 stores worldwide. And uh, that's another, it's just crazy to think that all of that went away. It felt like overnight. I wish I could go back and live through it again and see how, like, experience it again in real time. Because my memory truncates everything, as memory does, tends to do, right? Truncates everything to such a degree. I didn't realize, I guess I realized I was going through it. I guess I just didn't realize how interesting the future me would find what current me was going through from a media standpoint in the 90s couple of weird things I learned about VHS. Did you know that if you pulled the tape out of a VHS, and you know, for you young kids, a VHS cassette is, uh, instead of being digital, it's analog, right? And so there's two spools, and the spools have a bunch of tape on it. The tape has magnetically imprinted with audio and video on it, you know, and, and that's how the image is transferred onto the TV through the player. However, uh, if you pull that tape out from one end to the other, it would measure... On a standard VHS tape, it would measure 1,400 feet. I know I mentioned that the Young Teacher was the first 
VHS tape to, to release. There, see, I said it. VH, it was the first VHS release. However, in North America, where I live, uh, the first three VHSs to release uh, came out in 1977. It was a threefer. It was The Sound of Music, Patton, and MASH at a retail price of $50 to $70 each. So the first American movies you could buy were those three. Or rather, the first movies you could buy on VHS in America were those three. The most successful VHS tape of all time? Anybody have any guesses? I figured it would be Disney, and I was right. I wasn't right on the Disney movie, but it's uh, 1995's Lion King. Best-selling VHS movie ever, selling 32 million copies and generating $520 million in revenue all by itself. Five times what the entire industry was worth just a few years later in 2007. That's crazy to think about. So this is an ad to help support So All Right. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses brand that has more than 250,000 five-star reviews. That is 1.25 million stars. How many stars do you have? I got like four. They're on a mission to match affordability with durability, making top quality shades accessible to everyone. So if you're looking for an upgrade, I recommend the premium color rush lenses crafted with rare earth materials. These lenses bring high-impact color to life, elevating reds, blues, and greens. Plus, if you're into winter sports and you need to switch lenses on the fly, they have quick-swap snow goggles that are perfect for any light conditions on the slopes. I am going to take their word for it because I'm not a slopes guy, but I would love to be. And if I ever become a slopes guy, I'll do it in Shady Rays. Plus, they have a lost and broken protection plan. So if your shades go MIA or they take a bad hit, do not sweat it. They've got lost and broken protection, so you are covered from day one. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their very best deal. Head to ShadyRays.com and use code ALLRIGHT24, that's alright four for 35% off polarized sunglasses and snow goggles. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by more than 250,000 people. All right, back to the podcast. All right, well, I know what the first VHS tape is. God damn it, I did it again. All right, I know what the first VHS is. I know what the first VHS to come out in America is. I know what the most successful VHS movie is. What is the last VHS to come out? And when was it? Okay, interesting. Interesting. The final VHS ever made. I shouldn't say that. That's because that's definitely not going to be true. The final VHS to be mass produced in a in, in a major release kind of way was uh, 2005 or 2006. And it was Viggo Mortensen and uh, Maria Bello and Ed Harris and William Hurt in the David Cronenberg film, A History of Violence, which if you've never seen it, is a really, really fucking good movie. And William Hurt is tremendous in it. Worth seeing just for his performance alone. Also worth seeing because it's a Cronenberg film. Also worth seeing because Viggo Mortensen is pretty badass. And it is the last one. I wonder if they knew when they were making it, yes, this is going to be the last movie ever made on this format. 
It wasn't alone, though. There were a few that came out just before it. So if you're interested, the last uh, couple, Saw 2, uh, there was a yeah Ryan Reynolds comedy, Just Friends. Uh, Jarhead was in there. Yours, mine, and ours, Pride and Prejudice. But History of Violence is the one that capped it all off. I think it was officially 2006. And they call that the end. And I love this. I love that this is what it's referred to as. But they called it the end of the Be Kind Rewind era. I guess that's how we sum up the VHS chapter in human history. Also, uh, as I'm sure you know, physical media is becoming highly collectible. I have been collecting physical shit. I've been collecting baseball cards my whole life. But uh, I know a lot of people now are collecting video games. Andrew, who I did the Face podcast with, he collects unopened video, like graded video games. Uh, I know a lot of people are doing that with even DVDs and stuff. But VHS is not exempt from that. There are some VHS tapes that are selling for so much fucking money. I haven't done a lot of research into this, but these these were all sold on auctions. You can see the auctions. Uh, so I'll give you the, let's say the five most expensive VHS tapes of all time, uh, according to a heritage auction sale. On June 9th, 2002, a sealed unopened copy of Jaws, I don't know if it's great or not, but it was sealed, sold at auction for $32,500. Yeah, $32,500. The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, a movie that's been coming up a lot in my life lately for some reason, uh, sold at auction, unopened and graded by whatever this grading service is, the grades CGC Universal. I guess that's like PSA for VHS tapes. Sorry, for VHS it sold for $37,500 on October 31st. Oh, that's cute because it was the thing that sold on October 31st. Goonies. I've heard about this. I've heard that Goonies is incredibly sought after in VHS form. Unopened, $50,000. Yeah. And then uh, number two, Back to the Future. Unopened, uh, I assume graded or whatever, sold for $75,000. And then the highest selling VHS of all time is an unopened copy of Star Wars A New Hope, which sold in October of 2022 for $114,000. <sighs> I I don't even know what to say about that. I, I mean, it's... I know a lot of people... I know there's been a lot of... Uh, I've read at least a lot of stuff about people saying that the video game grading and the movie grading market is, is a way to uh, embezzle and funnel cash illegally, maybe. Uh, maybe there's a lot of that going on. Hard for me to believe that a copy of an unopened VHS tape that was created in my lifetime is worth a, over $100,000. But then again, if you think about it, when was the last time you saw an unopened copy of anything? I see VHS tapes all the time. I can go to every thrift stop in Austin right now and find thousands upon thousands of VHS tapes. They are readily available, but very rarely are they unopened. Ah, still a... Uh, Still hard to wrap your head around, though. I guess keep your eyes open. If you ever see an unopened VHS copy of a popular movie, it may may have some sort of a value. Also, be on the lookout for a copy of Jerry Maguire on VHS. It may not be worth a lot of money, but if you're not familiar with the video editing uh, group, Everything is Terrible, they have done this thing where they're creating a Jerry Maguire temple, like pyramid temple. Uh, I think it's just called the Jerry Maguire Pyramid. 
And so they do this, they do that like Instagram, they do video mashups of old weird clips that they find, found video footage and stuff they find. It's incredibly hilarious. They do live shows. I saw them when they came to Austin and did their live show. It was absolutely uh, amazing. But one of the things that they do is that they accept donations of Jerry Maguire VHS tapes because I, th- I think the reasoning behind it was no matter where you went and looked at VHS tapes, there was always a copy of Jerry Maguire there. Like no matter... Uh, if you're at the Goodwill or at the FYE or like at, you know, at your grandma's house looking through a club, you're always going to see a copy of Jerry Maguire. And so they have been accepting donations and they have uh, probably hundreds of thousands of copies of Jerry Maguire at this point and that they are arranging into this giant Jerry Maguire pyramid. Uh, I think if you, actually, I think you can go to jerrymaguirepyramid.com. Even my wife, uh, I believe, has donated VHS copies to, uh, to Everything is Terrible for the Jerry Maguire Pyramid. So if you have some laying around, maybe you can donate to those people because they're doing something interesting and weird with it, which is kind of how I feel about the VHS industry after reading all this. It was really interesting. It was weird. It was a weird place in time. You get locked into these ideas that things are the way they are and they always will be the way they are because they're the way you first experienced them. I was born into a world I was born the same year that VHS became readily available, I guess, or at least became commercially available, if not readily available. And so my entire life for the first, well, until 2006, you figure that puts me at 31. So uh, VHS was a part of my life for the first 30 years, and it was the predominant form of sit-down entertainment. Like it's, It's gone now. I mean, it makes sense that it was replaced by a better format, Clearly, tapes were records were well, records were really replaced by tapes. They're different. I think they're different at this point, but tapes were replaced by CDs, right? VHS tapes were replaced by DVDs. What's interesting to me is we had this 30 year run of VHS, and then we had, I don't know, maybe a 15 year run of DVD, and then physical media died, which I have no problem with. Gus and I were uh, early adopters into digital media, and we, I, you can go back and listen to old RT podcasts from the mid-2000s where we're begging physical media to die so that we can get everything digitally because of ease and convenience. And we definitely got what we asked for, and the world is pretty easy and convenient. I didn't anticipate it happening in the way it did. You know, the reality is that the future is tends to be built by the lowest bidder. So we got a lot of the stuff we asked for or demanded. And most of it doesn't work for shit. And everything's like 70% what I would want it to be. But, you know, it's kind of how the world works. One thing I do miss, though, and I think about this from time to time. You go home, you sit down in front of the TV with your, your wife and your kid, and you scroll through Netflix or Hulu idly, you know, just looking for anything interesting to watch. Something about that process is not as much fun as it used to be when you had to. And I understand that it's effort that we don't have to make anymore. You can go home from work after a shitty, long, exhausting day and sit on your sofa and then hit a button and then you've got the world of entertainment in front of you, an embarrassment of riches. But there was something about piling into the car at the end of the day driving down to Turtles or FYE or Blockbuster or United Video or Hollywood Video or West Coast Video or whatever fucking video store you went to in your town and 
doing the exact same thing, but doing it under fluorescent lighting, standing up, looking at row after row of films alphabetized. There was something there, grabbing a tape, trying to like run it across the blockbuster to your mom, showing it to her and being like, can we, can we watch Predator? Can we watch Predator? And her saying, you've already seen Predator. Let's get something that your grandparents are going to want to watch too. And you're like, oh, right. It's not just about me. And just like that trying to figure out what the family all watched together in the video store surrounded by movies is really no different than it is on your sofa, but there's just something tactile and experiential that if you never did it, and I guess if you were born after the end of video stores, you probably never did, that was, that had value. I'll say that, that had value. It eventized things a little bit more, and I think we could use a little bit more of that in our lives anyway. Things are very easy. Things come to us very easily now. Things are very accessible, and that's great. It's awesome. It's the way it should be, but I think some of the the the, the specialness of the search or the effort that goes into getting there is lost along the way. And and I gotta say, I kinda I think I kinda miss it. I went to Bend, Oregon a few years ago to visit some family and I actually went to the last open blockbuster. And at that time it was still a functioning blockbuster. I have I think I saw an article recently that said it's converted into like an Airbnb now or something where maybe you can like watch the tapes and then stay in the the place. I don't know. I, I haven't looked into it. I hope it's still open. Uh, I did buy a tote bag from them, so hopefully that helps support them. But uh, it was wild because it was like walking into the past. And it, in a way that you forget, you forget how the aisles were laid out. And then you go walk in and you're instantly reminded. You go from genre to genre. Then there's all of the, the, the embarrassment of candy and popcorn riches in front of you. Because when you went to the video store, you didn't just go to buy videos. You went to buy a big ass thing of popcorn and like 14 different kinds of candy, and it, oh man, it was probably the best impulse section of all time was was at a Blockbuster video. They just, they had so much candy. And I guess that that's, you know, it makes sense that it's gone. It makes sense that the format has been replaced and then replaced again. And it makes sense that there is some nostalgia for the lost format and now some collectability around it, I wonder what the long-term effects of that will be. Like, would baseball cards still be as valuable and as sought after today if they quit making them in 2006? Like, would people still want to buy a Mickey Mantle card for $7 million? Maybe they would. Maybe it'd be worth $10 million because it, well, I guess that particular card wouldn't be any rarer, but the industry as a whole would be rarer. But I also got to think that you need, at least in collectability, you need new content to chase you need new things to chase right to keep it fresh and because they're not making any more vhs tapes it keeps fresh eyes from finding it so i wonder if it'll just become a niche thing collecting physical media that has died or if it will maintain and endure i kind of hope it does for the same reason we have museums you want this stuff to be preserved so that people can see it and touch it and understand it and 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 get a sense of the way the world used to work the way information traveled the way we used to entertain, you know? So now that I've said that VHS is a dead format, let's talk about the VHS that's still being made. Uh, because of the collectability aspect of it, uh, let's see. In 2010, the movie The House of the Devil was released on VHS as an Amazon-exclusive deal to keep with the film's intent to mimic 80s horror films. The very first paranormal activity 
which was produced in 2007, had a VHS release in the Netherlands in particular, I think, in 2010. The horror film VHS 2 was released as a combo in North America that included a VHS tape in addition to Blue uh, Ray and DVD. Obviously, that makes sense. But 2019, this is getting pretty recent, Paramount Pictures released uh, <laughs> quantities of the 2018 film Bumblebee uh, as promotional contest prizes in VHS format. And then in 2021, professional wrestling promotion Impact Wrestling, I'm sure Eric is familiar with those guys, Produced a limited run of VHS tapes containing that year's Slammiversary, which quickly sold out. The company later announced future VHS runs of all their pay-per-view events. So I guess that was a fucking home run for them. So that, I guess, gives us some idea that there, there's enough collectability that uh, or kitsch value to it that at least some production companies see it as a, at least a marketing tool. Hopefully, we'll get to see more stuff like that in the future. Hopefully, you have a couple of sealed copies of Jaws or The Terminator or Back to the Future in your house that you can sell and buy a new car with or maybe pay off the mortgage. And uh, if anybody knows where the young teacher on VHS is, I would love... Let me see. VHS copy... So I did some searching. I wasn't able to really find anyone... uh, selling or even really talking about the value of The Young Teacher, the very first VHS released that we talked about earlier. If you know anything about The Young Teacher, I would love to find out more information about that VHS. Is there a copy like, I don't know, in a museum somewhere? Uh, it, has it sold at auction and I just couldn't find it? it there, there must be at least one copy of the very first VHS floating around somewhere. And if not, there surely there's some sort of a search for it, right? Because it, ha- it has to exist. Even if it hasn't been identified yet, it has to exist somewhere in some grandmother's house in South Korea or who knows, maybe at a thrift store somewhere in Idaho. But I would love to know. I'd love to see and find out a little bit more about that. So if you have any info on The Young Teacher or anything about VHS in general that I may have missed or any particular insights you, you want to send my way, as always, email Jeff at... What? Oh, yeah. Email jeff at ericsboss.com or eric at jeffsboss.com. I don't care. All right. All right.